You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Giants Double Play, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Janie Hu, the Chronicles assistant sports editor, and I'm joined, as always, by our Giants beat writer, Henry Shulman. Hey, Henry. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Giants Double Play. We are one week roughly into the season now. You've had opening day and experienced it in Los Angeles with a four-game series against the Dodgers. The Giants came back and had their home opener uh, in a two-game series against Seattle. So we're six games in. The fans have really been up and down. Uh, You've been hearing about it on Twitter. What's your take on the Giants so far? Well, I mean, three and three, not bad, considering that a lot of fans had to have their you know sharp objects taken away from them after the two shutout losses in L.A. Assuming the Giants were going to score a total of about eleven runs between now and August, uh, so considering all that happened, uh, they, you know they've done okay. Uh, it, it's been an odd start to the season. Uh, you don't usually start the season with four shutouts: two two going your way, two going the other way, uh, and then two completely. Uh, I mean, diametrically opposed games that you had at home where uh, they gave up four runs right away uh, in the home opener with block pitching, and then they scored four runs right away in two innings against uh, Felix Hernandez. So, you know, it takes a while before you sort of get a real sense of where the season is going. Uh, You just, I mean, given everything that's happened with the Giants, given the fact that they uh, did have that huge scoring drought, scoring six runs over their first five games and lost two starting pitchers, and starting with four games in a row against uh, your rival and the team that is coming off winning a pennant, I think three and three is a pretty good place to start. Well, you pick up, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to our Sporting Green sports pages. If you pick up the sports pages today and you look at the standings, you got the Giants at three and three ahead of the Dodgers at two and five, so there's always that too. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's see what that looks like on uh, August 31st I when know. we do when we do episode 103 of this podcast. <laughs> no, you've always uh said and, and I loved how you explained this um when we uh started doing these live streams last year is that you take your take a season and you break it down into nine innings of 18 games each. And so kind of the first clarity or marker for you might be after that 18 game mark. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's the bottom of the first inning after 18 games. Uh, and, and I really think it takes about 40 games, a quarter of the season, uh, or, or you, know, maybe, you know, basically in the third inning, before you can even you know, kind of get a true sense of what the team's strengths and deficiencies really are. Uh, it'll be a little uh, more awkward with the Giants this year because they're not going to have their full team. And, uh, you know, of course, when you have a team that has uh, some key guys injured like Samarja, Melanson, and Bumgarner, uh, what you really just hope to do is sort of stay the course and stay in the hunt until they get back. And when they do get back, it's almost as if you're making free 
trades to get new players. And I think Samarjo is going to be the first one back, barring a setback. We may see him around the 15th or the 16th of April, which is coming up pretty quickly. Uh, Bumgarner, we know, is about June 1st. He hopes to make it sooner than that. Uh, Melanson is a big question mark uh, because, I mean, he, he has inflammation. He's not on a throwing program. He's on just waiting for the inflammation to die down. I don't think anyone needs to or anybody can really count on him any time on any particular date. Uh, but, uh, you know, the bullpen's doing okay without him so far. So uh, that's a plus for the Giants as well. Right. So uh, we're here talking. I'm in San Francisco Chronicle headquarters, and we've got you dialed in on the phone. Um, our, our, I'm sure our listeners can tell the difference. And this is something that we hope to be doing regularly so we can check in with you remotely when you're on the road and our Giants fans can listen to the dulcet tones of Henry Schulman every week. Yeah, you know, we'll just have to arrange this around my poker games and trips to the synagogue, but you know, we'll we'll get these done when I'm on the road. <laughs> so speaking of uh, synagogue, um, we had um, we we talked about starting pitching, and we had Johnny Cueto uh, take a perfect game into the seventh inning on uh, Good Friday, and uh, you know, to give fans a little bit of background, um, you know. Papers kind of not. I wouldn't say go into panic mode. Um, it's really it, no hitters are great things for the fans and people watching the game, uh, baseball itself. But we here in the newsroom go through a very different set of um, uh, steps that we take. Um, you know, we start calling people and preparing for. Oh gosh, if we if we if we really do get a no hitter or whatnot, the Associated Press sends out um, no hitter alerts. Um, the tradition has been after six innings, but I think it all kind of talks about just baseball traditions. And what do what do you guys think in in the press box? I mean, it used to be this big thing: we can't mention a no hitter before six innings are over. Uh, well, first of all, if there's a Pulitzer Prize for segues, you win it for that synagogue <laughs> Easter uh, Good Friday thing. Uh, actually, uh, the tradition in the press box is uh, to uh, flout any kind of dumb superstition that if you talk about a no-hitter, it's uh, going to go away. I can guarantee you that every no-hitter that's ever thrown uh, in the history of baseball, people have been talking about it in the press box, in the stands, um, you know, in other countries, uh, in space on the, you know, the shuttle, uh, space station or whatnot. I mean, uh, we're, we're not witches. We're not warlocks and things like that. I mean, no-hitters can't be uh, won or lost or made or broken by somebody talking about it. Uh, yeah, AP sends out an advisory in the sixth inning just to make sure that all the papers uh, that uh, subscribe to it know that you may have a big story coming soon. The weird thing about Cueto's, of course, was that the Giants hadn't scored a run. They were facing Kershaw uh, and, and a pretty good Dodger bullpen. So when, when you're writing a, a story, well, actually, when you're writing any kind of no-hitter story, you know, you're always writing as the game's going on because you've got to file a final out. It's always a little nerve-wracking because – uh, as soon as somebody gets a hit or a walk or whatnot, I mean, it really changes the whole tenor of the story. But when uh, the team that uh, that is throwing the no-hitter doesn't have a run either, and you're looking down the line going, well, I don't know how they're going to get a run, <laughs> then it makes it even, it makes it even a little more nerve-wracking, which is, uh, you know, why I have an endorsement deal with Maalox 
<laughs> Sounds good. Uh, you, I'll try this for another segue. We talked about you looking down and, man, where is this run going to come from? Uh, it's fair to say that the hitting uh, has not been the most spectacular um, by the Giants, um, especially uh, their newcomers, Evan Longoria, Andrew McCutcheon, um, Austin Jackson. Um, I know you, I saw that you had this theory that it's okay for the hitters to, to kind of, you thought that the hitters were a little bit behind coming into the season, and that was uh, because of this truncated spring training? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I talked myself in and out of that theory just because I've looked around baseball, and there have been a lot of, uh, I, mean, were, uh, I, I wrote a story that was uh, put on the web on Wednesday uh, in the morning about how many really good hitters in baseball uh, have struggled. I mean, Chris Davis of the Orioles was one for 20, uh, and there were all sorts of examples like that with, you know, really good hitters who, uh, you know, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. and, uh, you know, Anthony Rizzo and Ian Happ and, and all these guys who were having some some sort of numbers uh, like McCutcheon, Longoria, and Jackson were having. But then on the flip side, there were 25 guys who were hitting over uh, 400, I think it was. Uh, so I kind of talked myself out of that theory, and I, I just think uh, what what happened with the Giants is uh, it, it is natural to press when you come to a new team. Um, Longoria and Jackson are coming to a new league. Uh, they're all playing in, in uh, ballparks where they really haven't played all that many games. I mean, McCutcheon obviously has had his fair share of games in Dodger Stadium. Uh, the Giants were also facing a pitching staff that uh, helped lead a team to a pennant. Uh, so, I think that had something to do with it, but the new guys, new guys tend to press, and when you have three guys in the lineup who are all starting off slow and they're all pressing, that can happen. And, and then we saw, we kind of saw Longoria starting to, to break out of it. You can tell even when a guy makes an out uh, that uh, the, the at bats are better because uh, he, he, you know, the guy's going deeper in the count. And even before he hit that home run in the home opener, he had an at bat earlier in the game where he took a really tough. Uh, 2-2 pitch. I mean, it was the kind of pitch he would have swung at in his first few games. He right. took it for ball three, uh, and then he, he hit a long fly ball to the warning track at center, and you, you, you get a mental picture going, okay, Longoria is right about to bust out of this, and then in his next at-bat, he hits a home run. Well, I saw some of those at-bats yesterday from Andrew McCutcheon. First of all, he drew a walk. Second of all, he made a, a long out to center and a long out, not a long out, but a hard out to right. Uh, this was on Thursday in the 10-1 to win. Uh, so that's telling me that McCutcheon's getting a little more comfortable. Jackson, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, he's in a platoon, so we'll see how he does. I mean, his strength is hitting uh, left-handers, and uh, you know, the Giants have faced a lot of them, and will face some more of them. Uh, but, but you know, the bottom line on all of this is that uh, it's a small sample size, and people like to panic. And uh, you know, it was a historic start to the season, badly. I mean, with two runs in the first four games. No Giants team had ever done that. And then, of course, you see them come out and score 10 runs and pounce on a former Cy Young winner. So it can change in a heartbeat. Right. Um, speaking of a different panic, Joe Panic also kind of off, on the flip side, off to a historic um, start of sorts. No other team had had their, I believe, their first three runs of a season scored on home runs by the same person. That's absolutely correct. I mean, that should never had never happened before. Which is, uh, and and also, I think that the Giants. I believe the Giants also were the first team ever to uh, win their first two games one nothing on homers by the same guy. Actually, I think I think it might have been the first time in history, if I'm not mistaken, that 
uh, any time of the year that the teams won back-to-back one nothing games with a homer by the same guy. I mean, he looks like a, a, a different hitter this year. He really does. Ed, would you credit for that? It goes to um, maybe the hitting staff tweaking some stuff with his approach? Yeah, uh, John Shea wrote a little bit about that in a story that ran in the uh, Thursday paper. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Wednesday paper. Uh, they made a they made a little bit of a an adjustment with him, uh, more of a uh, not so much with the actual plane of his swing, but but more with uh, how he positions his feet, and mm-hmm. uh, it, that allows him to stay back a little uh, longer on the ball. And uh, you know, he I mean, he's always been a good contact hitter. I mean, he's been the toughest hitter in the National League to strike out the last two years running, uh, which is a, a really you know kind of important feat to have. Uh, so all you have to do is you, you just get him to hit the ball on a line a little bit more than he has the last couple of years, and, and maybe not you know 40 home runs, uh, but you can predict that he's going to be a 300 hitter or close to it if he, if he can maintain that sort of spring, uh, uh, swing and approach, which you know he was a 300 hitter when he first came up in this league. Uh, and uh, if he could stay healthy and keep the same approach, he actually could be a decent lead-off hitter for this team. Right. So Panic is obviously off to a hot start. Um, we had Longoria join the long ball party. Another guy, blast from the past, here comes Pablo Sandoval, and it's like the Pablo of old. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny as, as we're uh, talking here, recording this podcast, I'm, I'm watching the Red Sox in, a, in an extra inning game. Uh, against Tampa, and uh, I'm just sitting there thinking about the executives of the Red Sox, uh, <laughs> you know, watching these highlights on MLB Network as they come on at night, and, and just going, "We're paying him 18 million dollars. We're paying him 18 million dollars. We're paying him 18 million dollars." And I mean, I, I, Giants fans need to remember that whatever Pablo gives them this year, they're paying 545 thousand dollars. You know, which, uh, you know, that mean that that won't even get you a, a garage rental in uh, Sunnyvale right now. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's a huge thing, uh, what he's going to bring to the Giants this year. Uh, it, the, uh, the kind of bench presence that they really haven't had the last couple of years, the last few years, a guy who can come up there in the ninth inning against those tough right-handed closers and put a little uh, thought into the back of their minds that they have to be careful uh, with him. Uh, the ability to play third base, the ability to play first base, which he's done a decent job with, even the ability to... Um, to catch if need be. I mean, Bochy talked about this last night. Uh, a lot of the younger fans may not remember that Pablo Sandoval came up as a catcher. He was a catcher when he first played with the Giants, and they converted him to third base. And uh, he has been taking bullpens. He caught a Johnny Cueto bullpen uh, before um, the uh, the season actually began uh, and then took credit for Cueto's uh, near-perfect game uh, because of that, um, which was kind of funny yesterday. But uh, having... Uh, Panda on the bench as an emergency catcher even allows Bochi to pinch hit Nick Hundley without fear that if Hundley's out of the game and something happens to Posey, that uh, he's out of catchers. Um, and uh, Bochi even mentioned that last night because he actually used Hundley uh, in in a pinch hitting situation without fear of not uh, wasting his or spending his. Uh, his two catchers before the game was over. Uh, he brings a presence to the clubhouse. Um, he can hit right-handed again uh, now that his shoulder is healthy, his left shoulder. He's not a burner, a, bar- a barn burner hitting left-handed. You're not going to start him too many times. I'm sorry, right-handed. You're not going right. to start him too many times 
facing left-handed pitchers, but you can pinch hit them against a left-hander if you need be. A really big addition to this club. Yeah, and you talked about this in your uh, your write up from the game yesterday. It's that um, you, ha- you you have now you you've got Panda back. You've got Johnny Cueto uh, looking really strong out of the gate. And these guys these are guys that have personality and a presence. And it's not not a knock against Buster Posey or Madison Bumgarner, but they're less of the rah rah guys. Correct. Yeah, they're you know they're the quiet professional type hitters, and I would put, uh, I would actually put Longoria and McCutcheon uh, and Jackson in that category. Now we don't know really how these guys' personalities are going to mesh uh, with uh, the rest of the clubhouse because when guys are new, you, you tend to be quieter and you tend to let sort of the, the the team leaders sort of set that sort of tone. I saw it a little bit with McCutcheon. I saw him breaking out a little bit with a very funny conversation he had in the clubhouse uh, right before the end of spring training that, you know, it's private. I won't get into it, but he, I mean, he, he was, he was making people laugh in the clubhouse, uh, which was good to see. And, you know, I, I have to say too, that uh, the giants were a very homogeneous team and have been a very homogeneous team. And, uh, you know, without getting too much into uh, nationality and race and all that, um, clubhouses do tend to be a, lo- a little bit louder and more boisterous with uh, with a Latin presence because um, you know Latin Latin players are not shy about playing their music in the clubhouse. The, you know, and uh, and this is something I'm not making this up off the top of my head. This is something that players talk about. Um, Cueto even talked about it last year, uh, saying that it was a you know a very quiet clubhouse and it might be a little more boisterous if there were more Latin players in the room. And and you have uh, not just Latin players, but uh, boisterous and, and, and good guys. I mean, guys like um, like Sandoval and Blanco and Gorkis Hernandez, who um, you know uh, are, are respected by their by their teammates. And when you have younger Latin players like Reyes Maranta and um, uh, Roberto Gomez, you know, a couple of a couple of pitchers in here, you know, guys they can look up to too. And it just sort of loosens up the clubhouse a little bit. It's not as homogeneous. Um, it's not as quiet, and, and that's something Bruce Bochy really wanted to see this year a little bit more than last year. Right. Um, so speaking of uh, Longoria and McCutcheon, where did they end up setting up shop in terms of their lockers? Well, Longoria has the uh, the locker uh, that's closest to the uh, the food room, the training room, uh, and, and that area there. It's uh, sort of in the neighborhood where Matt Cain was last year. Uh, McCutcheon is over in another corner, sort of an opposite corner. Uh, he's not far from uh, Pablo Sandoval, uh, and he sits next to Austin Jackson. It, actually, it's it's funny. It, uh, I, all three of the newcomers, Longoria, Jackson, and uh, McCutcheon, all happen to be lockered together um, in Dodger Stadium. And I mean, usually those things are are done by numbers. And I mean, you had ten, sixteen, and twenty-two, but the three of them. I noticed sat there quite a bit, uh, and, and we're talking to one another. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's sort of a bond between them or among them, because you have these three veteran players who are, are all new, and, and maybe they forged a little bit of a bond through that in spring training. Um, but Jackson is lockering next to McCutcheon in that one corner of the clubhouse near where, where Cueto and, and Panda are right, right. now. Uh, Cueto is in the old Barry Bonds suite of lockers. It's been remodeled a little bit, but uh, it's you know, you don't have these gigantic uh, lockers that Bonds used to have, but that's where Cueto is now, and, and Panda is where uh, Bonds' third and fourth lockers used to be, and, um, and McCutcheon's around there near where Sergio Romo used to be, um, and, uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a smaller room right now, 
um, and a little more togetherness. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's where it is. Relievers are still pretty much together. The starters are pretty much together. The infielders are pretty much together. And then Bumgarner and Posey, who are the two, um, you know, really the two team leaders, the two veterans, the guys who've uh, got the three rings and been here through the wars, uh, they share a suite of about uh, three or four lockers in, in another corner. Okay, so are that that's kind of designated as as the the cream of the crop uh, space lies. Uh, yeah, le- leadership. Yeah, okay. leadership. Yeah. It's 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 a yeah. It's a set of lockers. I think it's three or four lockers that uh, are are set off by themselves uh, in one corner, uh, where so they really don't have to uh, you know dress with a whole bunch of people nearby and uh, don't have to be crowded. Right. Well, I think it's going to be an interesting storyline to follow how these new guys eventually, um, you know, uh, assert themselves. It is a little bit like, uh, uh, you know, showing up to the high school in 11th grade when everybody's been there together since ninth grade or whatnot. And you're a little bit hesitant at first. You don't want to dominate and you're kind of just feeling your own way around first. Yeah. And I don't really see Longoria just doesn't strike me. As a guy who's going to put the lampshade on his head and be a you know haha party guy, mm-hmm. I can see that a little bit from McCutcheon. I, I really can. And Jackson, I don't really have a, a great read on. He's a very nice guy. He's a very uh, helpful and accommodating to us. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to kind of learning a little bit more about his per- personality. Right. So we'll go back to the start of the season, which has been strange in a lot of ways. Not that, you know, the Giants opening on the road isn't strange, um, but then they come back and they have their home opener, uh, a a two-game series against Seattle, which, you know, this interleague play, it's it's not necessarily meaningful for rivalries or anything like that. And then here come the Dodgers back for another long series. How odd is it that these two teams, the uh, their biggest rivals, are going to see each other ten. How many times in the first couple of uh, first week and a half? It's it's uh well no it's uh it's seven out of the first nine games seven out of nine, and okay. ten times ten times before May first. Um and uh, they're actually going to play the Dodgers 148 times this year. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like that. it, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I you know they they baseball has tried to sort of put the uh, division rivals together in April and then again in September, both to generate interest at the start of the year and to have these rivalries, uh, you know, uh, try, you know, if you're going to settle divisions and settle playoff races against your division rivals at the end of the year. And it's it's been weighted like that for a while since they went back to the unbalanced schedule uh, where you, you don't see the Dodgers as much in May, June, july and august as you would say in april and september but this year it's just waited so so oddly uh the giants uh will uh, i mean i have seven uh i'm sorry six of their uh nine home games against the dodgers are gonna are are gonna be uh done by may 1st they're only gonna have one more series against the dodgers uh the rest of the year and uh you know the, the, at la there's another one in uh in June and another one in August, and they don't play the Dodgers uh, in L.A. in September. So, uh, I mean, they, well, they play them, uh, I guess they play them again at the end of the year, uh, um, so uh, at home. So there's like that one series that will end the season mm-hmm. against the Dodgers at home, but there's a huge gap between their their last uh, road series there in August and between when they face them again. And um, I, I don't know exactly what goes into the scheduling now. It's all done by computers, and there are also rules now that are a little different and more stringent about how much rest you have to give players and teams, uh, but, you know, traveling between cities, that might play into it as well. You, you have fewer options of where you can put 
teams on the schedule, and that may have something to do with it. Uh, we'll see if this continues on into next year. I'm not a big fan of the way uh, the Dodgers and Giants are this year. Right. Um, the you know another I guess little uh, crinkle in terms of the Dodgers coming here now is that we're looking at this atmospheric river, which is our new favorite catchphrase, uh, coming into the Bay Area and um, possibly um, affecting the uh, Friday-Saturday games. Um, is there <laughs> – I, Henry and I had this conversation yesterday where we were talking about whether or not well, – actually, was it yesterday? Whether or not whether to address it um, and what contingency plans were. And I didn't realize you wrote this in your story. Only five games have been rained out at AT&T Park. Is that right? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, first of all, I was thinking of, uh, I have Ella Fitzgerald on my mind uh, singing Cry Me an Atmospheric River <laughs> because I've cried an atmospheric river over you, and our older listeners uh, will uh, get that. I don't think Fernando will, but our older listeners will get that. Um, yeah, there have been five rainouts in AT&T, and this is the 19th season. Uh, uh, two of them uh, were, uh, I mean, three of them may, may have been that, that very first year. There hasn't been one. Since '06, we rarely get rainouts uh, in in April uh, because the rainstorms that do come in tend to be ones that you know it'll rain for a couple hours and it'll be dry for a couple of hours. So the Giants uh, will have everybody show up at the ballpark, and you know if there is a little bit of a delay, they'll make them wait. Uh, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to do that this time. If the, if the forecast hold, if if they wake up Friday morning and this uh, forecast has not changed, I would hope that the Giants would. Uh, you know, for the sake of the fans, for the sake of the players, the media, for city emergency services, the police, make an early call and uh, not make people go through the rigmarole of going to the ballpark for a, a game that probably wouldn't be played. Right. Um, and so, uh, and you were saying that they, the history, though, I mean, they've had to deal with this so few times, is that they generally don't call it, though, until uh, right. the day of. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the weather here in April, as everybody knows, the weather here in April is extremely changeable from the forecast. Uh, uh, this one doesn't look like it is, but uh, usually you're talking about uh, sporadic rain showers. Uh, so, I mean, it really doesn't make sense to call a game early uh, because of the, the possibility that uh, when the game time comes at night that it'll be fine. Uh, and that has happened Uh I mean, that's happened a few times that I can remember. Uh, it'd be a little easier to rain this one out, too. The Dodgers, like we've talked about, are coming back here at the end of the month. They have a mutual off day. I believe it's Thursday the 26th. It's uh, three weeks from when we're recording this podcast. Uh, and uh, I think they could play that as the start of a four-game series as opposed to um, you know, the start of this three-game series if they needed to. Um, it'll you know, mess up the pitching, mess up an off day, but uh, it could be done. Right. Um, hey, I'm going to end on a, uh, a sort of Dodgers uh, Giants note. Um, I know your readers certainly know this uh, that that you um, home is in L.A. for you. You grew up down there. Uh, that was was <laughs> very true. Okay, for both of us, uh, we we right. our childhoods were spent there uh, uh, in the shadow of Chavez Ravine, and you know, growing up. Um, and uh, I, I just <laughs> I, I want to ask you about um, the plumbing problems that also uh, that the Dodgers have run into, which we're kind of used to here for the Coliseum and the A's, but was it a little bit of a, of a I don't know, did you just have to laugh and at what they were going through down there? Well, since I tweeted it about it and joked about it on Twitter about a hundred times, yeah, I'd say <laughs> you do. I mean, they were 
playing the there was the last couple of innings of their what they call the freeway series, just like our Bay Bridge series up here. They were playing a game against the Angels, the very last exhibition before the season started. And all of a sudden, I mean, I'm looking on Twitter. I'm not watching the game, obviously. And I'm looking on Twitter, and people are saying that some sprinklers have come on. Well, then we learned it wasn't exactly sprinklers. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, depending on uh, what your source, it was either actually untreated sewage or what they call tertiary water or uh, treated sewage. Uh, I don't know if many of you know, listeners know this, but you're allowed to take sewage, clean it up, and um, uh, put it, uh, you know, water lawns, you know, golf courses, ballparks, all that sort of stuff. Uh, the, the, the health department, is, as much as we have one anymore uh, in this country, uh, says that you can do it. And uh, so that's probably what it was. And, and the bigger issue wasn't the health hazard from this backup of water, but it actually flooded. Uh, the water got into uh, the, uh, the the Dodgers clubhouse and actually flooded the coach's room and the manager's office. And they had uh, two days to clean it up, and uh, they did. And there was just... Uh, there was uh, no stench when uh, when I showed up for that opening day last week. Well, impressive. So this one thing our Giants double play listeners can always count on is some, learning something new, and here we have a water treatment regulation lesson at the very end. <laughs> yeah, that's why they call me Clavin. <laughs> Henry, thanks for joining us as usual. We will catch up with you uh, next time, either in person or on the road. You got it. Take care. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Horns of Jericho by Lucas Pern and Miloslav Kolar, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more Giants coverage, you can follow Henry on Twitter at Hank Schulman and me at Janie underscore who. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.